listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Backstage at Lyric features in-depth interviews with singers, conductors, and creative talents at one of the world's great opera companies. For additional podcast interviews, subscribe to our RSS feed or visit us online at lyricopera.org. Tenor Joseph Kaiser is backstage at Lyric. For me, Faust absolutely has that top quality level of, uh, of composition. It's just music that you can listen to all the time. I find myself listening to uh, either Faust or Romeo and Juliet probably once a week because I find the music is just so lavish and beautiful and lush and really inspiring. I just want to do the role and I'd like to do it in a way where people say, hey, Joe was a good Faust, you know, um, and, and I really enjoyed the evening. I really enjoyed that performance. Thank you for downloading this episode of Backstage at Lyric. I'm Roger Pines of Lyric Opera Chicago. Joseph Kaiser is an alumnus of Lyric's Ryan Opera Center. He's now embarked on a very impressive and exciting international career with appearances at the Met, Covent Garden, Munich's Bavarian State Opera, and the Salzburg Festival. He's returning to the Lyric Opera stage this season in the title role of Gunos Faust. I recently had the pleasure of talking with him about Faust, one of the world's most popular operas, which this year is celebrating the 150th anniversary of its premiere. Before we get to the interview, here's a brief synopsis. The aged philosopher Faust sells his soul to the devil, Mephistopheles, in exchange for youth. Once Faust has been transformed into a handsome young man, he meets the beautiful young Marguerite. Faust seduces and then abandons her. When he kills Marguerite's brother, Valentin, in a duel, Marguerite goes mad. Faust and the devil eventually appear at the prison where Marguerite is awaiting execution for killing the child she bore Faust. They urge her to flee with them, but she refuses, begging heaven's angels for salvation. She's redeemed, but Mephistopheles drags Faust to hell. Now, on to the interview with tenor Joseph Kaiser. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Joe. It's great to see you. Always great to see you, Roger. I know you're very fond of Faust. So what does it offer the public? I mean, this is one of the most popular operas in the repertoire. It has been for well over 100 years. Why is that, do you think? I think there are two main reasons. First of all, it passes the excellent music test. There's a lot of great operas out there. Some are better uh, known as pieces of music theater, like uh, uh, Janáček's Yenufa. Um, others are known for you know the, the beauty of the music. I would say some of Puccini's operas definitely fall into that category. And for me, Faust absolutely has that top quality level of, uh, of composition. It's just music that you can listen to all the time. I find myself listening to uh, either Faust or Romeo and Juliet probably once a week because I find the music is just so lavish and beautiful and lush and uh, really inspiring. And then the story is fantastic too. Everybody likes the story of somebody getting a second chance or a second kick at the can. Uh, We can all relate to that. Um, And, you know, We all like to think about, man, if I could just go and be young again, knowing everything that I know now, I wouldn't make any mistakes. I would do it all right, and I would get the girl, and we would have a happy ending. 
Well, it doesn't exactly work out that way, but it's still a perfect love story in that, um, you know, Faust is really convinced that this is that he's doing the right thing that he's that he's going to have an, an opportunity to uh, to make things right in his life and be able to quench the thirst that has sort of been there all along now this is your very first fast is it not it is but you did sing uh, Guno's Romeo here mm-hmm. and for your Met debut that's right and there was also a very challenging role that you sang in um, a Finnish opera Adriana Mater which you sang in French in Santa Fe now there are some other French roles that are coming up, correct? That's right. And have they been announced yet? <laughs> ah, it's always the tricky thing. There are... Oh, no, yes, there's one that's definitely okay. been announced. Sorry, uh, Fortunio. Uh, an not opera a, not by, a household name. No, but it's a great piece. It's a great piece. Really great piece. By? By Messager. Yes. And it'll be at L'Opéra Comique in Paris in uh, December. This, oh, so right after yeah, the Faust. Yeah, right oh, after boy. Faust. Yeah, so it's my French semester, right. as I've been so, telling people. So where does this ease that you have in the French language actually come from? Well, I, I was born in Montreal, um, and so it is French-Canadian, it is Quebecois, but it's it's a similar, obviously, uh, style. And I don't know, there's just always been something about French legato and the fluidity of the language that I have found just suits me. I, I like to do it. I like to sort of find the nuance within the line. Debussy, for example, when I was a baritone, right before I switched to tenor, I always sang Pelias's uh, aria, if you will, when he's, he's speaking about uh, Milizan's hair. And I just, you know, I really just love the intricacies of the line and how the language and the music really blended together. And, you know, it's always, to me, language or diction and music and the compositional style, the way that they blend are, are so fascinating to me. But there's something in French where it's it's seamless. And so I really, um, I don't know, I just get excited about that. And I always try to, to make sure that the line is very, very smooth. Now, can you make a comparison between Faust and Romeo uh, in terms of what you need to uh, to contribute to those roles, both as singer and as actor? Well, I mean, first of all, just off the bat, as actor in Faust, you, you have to play old at the beginning. Have you ever um, done that before? Have you ever been old on the stage? Have I ever been old on the stage? Thinking, thinking. Maybe like high school theater or something like that? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in high school, sure. But um, I don't know if any of the operatic roles, if I've necessarily, I guess Eisenstein, but, but you know, I mean, we were all, we did the student matinees, and so we were all, you know... 20, 30-year-olds playing 40s. So that doesn't really count. I guess not. But Faust is old. Faust is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's like, you know, he's definitely AARP by that point, which is fantastic, don't get me wrong. But um, no, I guess it will be my first uh, my first opportunity to, to do that. But see, that, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you brought up the Adriana Mater piece before. These are all acting challenges. And, you know, we do this. Natalie Desai, in a recent article in, in, in The Times, uh, said, you know, if I could just be paid to rehearse, uh, you know, I would love it. And it's not that, you know, I'm sure a lot of people read that and they think, oh, you know, that means she doesn't like to perform. No, it's not that. It's the development and the cultivation in the rehearsal process, especially when we're afforded a, a four to six week rehearsal period. It's just so great because everybody gets to make the character their own and everybody sort of gets to see how they interact with you know not just for me for example not just 
Mephistopheles, but Kyle's Mephistopheles, or not Kyle just Kettleson, Kyle, yeah, Kyle Kettleson, and not you know not just any Marguerite, but but Anna Maria's Marguerite. It, it's it's very specific that sort of work. So yeah, and then for Faust musically, it's beautiful. I think there are it doesn't sit as high, but there are some higher uh, notes, uh, and also you're not on stage all the time. For, for Romeo, I found I was always on stage. You'd have like a brief, brief respite um, during Stefano's aria, and then you would have like the poison aria if they were doing it, and, and the wedding. But I mean, really, it felt like you Most never the left the stage. Yes. Yeah, so, so this will you know, be um, different. But. So just, is, where is the complexity in him in Faust that you can bring out on the stage, and also his, his humanity, assuming that that is there too? Right now, I don't have something that I'm necessarily striving to bring out. What mm-hmm. I just hope to do is an accurate representation of the character. You know, somebody that just feels like they've been reborn. I think we all think about this. We all think about what if. What if I could go to a defining moment in my life and, and take the other path? Or what if I could go and, and, and have the chance to be the jock in high school? You know, What would it be like to be the most popular person? What would it be like to be loved for my looks, for, my, for just having this persona? What would it be like to be the Billy Bud of a community? Not necessarily with the, the bad ending. But, and so I, that's, that's what I hope to bring out, this, this real frustration and sadness and, and just disgust with myself at the beginning and then absolutely savoring every moment of this new life and this new opportunity and and really making that genuine and really feeling that. I mean, I'm 31 now and I remember what it was like to be 21 and I remember that my energy was boundless. Um, Many people would say that my energy is still rather boundless, but it's not as boundless. And then I think five years before that when I was 16, oh my gosh, I mean, I could do anything. I could sleep four hours a night. I could run, you know, five miles and then go play tennis the next day, no problem. And and I had endless energy when it came to social interactions. And uh, I just sort of want to rediscover that because to me, in a way, the nice thing about Faust is that he ends up feeling like Romeo. He feels like this testosterone-filled young lover. And I don't know. It's it's always fun to be able to go back and feel those things. Everyone in a performance of Faust is always waiting for the aria. Mm -hmm. So how do you characterize your aria? What's going on and what does it require of you to sing it? It requires uh, a great amount of focus. Um, I think that you need to um, make sure that, especially for me, having gone from baritone to tenor, the first, I would say 85% of the aria could be sung by a baritone. It could. It could. And so you have to make sure, I have to make sure that I'm singing making sure that there's not too much weight in the passaggio and that I'm keeping things light because at the end, you're going to want to be able to sing a C. And so, um, dramatically speaking, I don't know. I, I guess you want to feel uh, revitalized and you want to feel inspired. What is the situation? Well, he's, he's standing there and he's looking at uh, her dwelling, her abode, and he's, he's thinking of her purity and, and her virginity and, and how I think he's thinking about how he's going to conquer that and how he's going to... Um, have her, and and I think that's really starting to to turn him on. I mean, to me, even though the aria is in A flat and it's very 
beautiful. I think that he's really starting to get aroused by how pure and innocent she is and how he's going to be able to take on uh, some of that and, and really be able to, to enjoy this. And the high C is the high point of all of that, I suppose. Um, why do you think Faust abandons Marguerite? Here he is completely ecstatic, and then uh, suddenly he's not there. <sighs> I mean, does it bother you that there really isn't a reason? We don't really learn why he abandons her. Well, you know, I don't really have a problem with there not being a reason, because we don't always get a reason for things in, in life. Um, I don't know. I guess I, I, I have to be honest that right now I haven't fully formed my idea for that. I would say that the the initial thoughts, though, again, I, I want to sort of live a bit of the rehearsal process in order to, to see how I feel with it. But for now, it feels to me like in the end, he realizes that the situation is too much for him to take and he can see that it's gone wrong and he doesn't have the power or the courage to step forward and uh, and take responsibility. Right. Um, I assume that in the back of your mind, once you've conquered Faust, are things like Manon, Werther, maybe Carmen a few years from now. Are those sort of looming large? I don't mean to, to do this, but I have to say I have never, ever thought of it as conquering a role. Oh, okay. No, no, but just to say, no, because conquering sort of seems like, you know, like... Um, you know, the beginning of Julius Caesar, you know, I came and I saw and I conquered. I've never, I mean, I just, I just want to do the role and I'd like to do it in a way where people say, hey, Joe was a good Faust, you know, and I really enjoyed the evening. I really enjoyed that performance. But yeah, do I have aspirations to do, um, you know, other French romantic repertoire? Absolutely. I'd love to sing Werther. Uh, I saw Jonas's fantastic, Jonas, Kaufmann. Jonas Kaufmann's incredible Décrieux. Uh It was just it was inspiring. It, it really was. And then, sure, I mean, I've always wanted to sing, to sing Don Jose, even when I was a baritone, even before I actually really took singing lessons. I, that's a role I've always, always wanted to do. What did it take emotionally for you to, and physically for that matter, for you to make that move, which for any singer, when you move from one category to another, is always a very big deal? I think it took a lot of humility. I mean, I think it took... You know, you go from being a baritone where I didn't feel like I was a great singer, but I felt like I was pretty good and I was always getting better. And then basically I took a summer. There were so many people, just a segue, there were so many people that were saying, oh, I think you're a tenor, I think you're a tenor. Lyric Opera's administration, uh, Teresa Braganza from a, uh, um, from a competition I had done, and just all different people were saying that they thought I was. And so it took me basically a year from the fall of 02 to the, the fall of... Uh, of 03 to switch. And the summer of 03, I was at uh, the Merla program at the San Francisco Opera. And that was the summer where we really tried to switch things. And so I'd go into a coaching with like a new tenor aria and we'd try it. And we'd sort of try one or two arias every week. And man, I mean, there were some arias that just didn't work. I mean, not just cracking, but just like I can get through it, but I can't sing this. And so then you start to think, wow, maybe I'm not a tenor. Then you go and you sing a different piece, a different aria, and it fits like a glove, and it has high notes and everything, and you think, wow, okay. Now I'm starting to get a better idea. So it, you know, the shorter answer would be it's, it was a lot of trial by error and a lot of just trying to keep up my, my confidence and trying to believe that I was doing the right thing. 
Now, you've just come back from Munich. Yes. And you were in a new production of Yanufa there, and you've been at Covent Garden and Salzburg Festival, but inquiring minds want to know about the movie, The Magic <laughs> Flute, yeah. in which you sang Tamino, directed by Sir Kenneth Branagh. And I know that it's hard to sum up an experience like that, especially since it took you the better part of a year to, to finish the movie. So I'm just going to ask, what was involved in transferring the kind of acting you do for a role on the stage of Big Opera House into the medium of film? Specificity and honesty. Those two things were the most important. But aren't you, do, aren't you communicating those things on the opera stage too? You are, but you can get away with so much more on an opera stage. Uh-huh. Now, now, don't get me wrong. What I learned from the movie is that I don't want to get away with that. I don't want to get away on an operatic stage ever with being not completely honest and not completely um, specific with my movement or with my gestures because there's so many when we sing we sort of try to keep our body loose of course but excuse me there are times where we sort of have extraneous movements that come in that aren't necessarily linked to what our character is thinking or feeling and to me, I've just really tried to simplify everything. When, when we would go and do a screen test, for example, for the film, I would look at myself and I would say, well, what am I doing? Like, as an opera singer, I thought, oh, okay, those movements are all right. But as a person saying the words, for example, in, in you know, the text, um, I never knew that love could scream like fallen men on battlefields. So that's in, in the aria because obviously there's a World War I context to um, or a setting for the film. There's a way that you say that where you mean it. And then there's a way that you sing it where you're, I'm using quotes here, singing it. And the, the latter never came across as honest. It never came across as direct when we were filming. And so I really had to go and, and take away all the singerisms so that when I said that or sang it, it came across as the text coming from my heart, I really mean what I'm saying, my character believes what he is saying in the moment. Definitely and absolutely living in the moment and saying those things. Did, did it take your actually seeing yourself in the rushes or for you to, to discover this? I mean, did you actually see what had been filmed and say, oh, I need to change this? Okay, so there's two answers. One, no, because Ken would never have let that happen. Uh-huh. Ken, I mean, as Ken said, we have one criteria for you guys. If it's real, we keep it. And if it's not, we do it again. And just so you know, uh, that I, he absolutely held me to that. There is a line of dialogue in the film, which is uh, after the Queen of the Night's aria, when I've been, um, I, I look at uh, Pamina's picture again, and I say, <laughs> wherever you are, I'll find you. I did that 21 times. 21 times. I mean, and there was a moment where I think Ken's note to me was he came from behind the camera, walked towards me, just looked at me, and walked away as if to say, come on, get it right. Um, but, but again, it was never, I mean, it was never mean or, you know, anything like that, but it was, it was. So what did it take for you to get it right? The 21st yeah, time. You know, I think it's just, it's just about relaxing. I mean, it's like I had a tennis lesson yesterday, or, or golfers can relate to this too. If you're trying to crush the ball, it's not going to go nearly as far as when you relax and use your technique and follow through. 
and it will always, always go further. And for tennis, you'll always get a cleaner, uh, uh, more direct, more topspin uh, on your shot. And it's the same with acting. When you relax and you just sort of say the line with intensity from sort of a neutral position and instead of carrying the tension of all the previous takes then it, it usually comes across mm. but that, I mean that was the thing was always sort of finding zero ground because for example there was um, in Pamina's Aria I'm crying but we did we shot it all over I think the, my part in it probably over two days and so I wasn't singing anything but I had to start not crying and then cry and so we were able to break it up so I, it wasn't, you know, they would have had to redo the makeup and everything every time if I had been like, woo you know. But, uh, but we did sort of have to keep going back where I had to start crying again and start crying again. And for that, you really just have to reset. You have to go back and start feeling those things. And you can't carry the, you know, whatever it is that's making you cry or making you sad into the beginning of the next take because then – Everyone will know. They'll say like, oh, okay, Joe needed a couple of cracks at that one, you know. But, and just to, to answer what you said before, did I see things in the rushes that I myself wanted to do differently? Yeah, sure. But there was a real life lesson in that because you go and you see it and it's there. And that's it. I mean, maybe they'll use that clip or maybe they'll, use a, they'll edit it and they'll use another take. But, you know, it's like when we saw the premiere in Venice. We saw it at 8 in the morning with the press. That was the first time I had seen it. And I went in, and I, I, it was so funny. I woke up that morning, and I sort of, like, checked my voice. You know, I was like, hmm, hmm, hmm. And I was like, oh, it doesn't feel so good today. And then I was like, wait, I, I don't have to sing. I'm not singing today. This performance has already been done. Um, and so it's, it's a very humbling experience to go and sit in the theater with, you know, 300, 400 journalists um, and watch yourself and really not be able to change anything. But at the same time, you say, well, this is, this is what I did. This is what we did. I hope some people like it. I know that the piece, Mozart's opera, um, stands you know, on its own in, as, as one of the great pieces of all time. So I'm glad that we were able to uh, present it in a, a different way. You are an alumnus of Lyric's Ryan Opera Center professional training program. Now, what, what tools that you acquired in the program are most valuable to you now that you're out there working internationally? Bring your A-game. Always bring your A-game. You know, they taught us here to be consummate professionals. Don't make excuses. Don't come unprepared. Don't come late. Know your stuff. Uh, be a good colleague. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I mean, sure, we learned specific musical things, and I gained incredible experience. I mean, you know, in my first season, we had buddy sessions that they had set up where I got to coach arias with – I think in that first year, it was Richard Margeson, Placido Domingo, Kurt Streit, uh, Bonnie Batone, uh, John Trelevin, Jerry Hat, the late Jerry Hadley. I mean, all it, in one year. All in one year. Yeah, and in fact, and, and this was the best part, is that I would take that that year. I was singing the flower song a lot from Carmen, and I got to take it to Placido, Kurt, and who else? Bonnie Batone and Jerry and. I mean, all of whom had sung it. And Kurt did that, that uh, fantastic Andrea Breit uh, production. And it was just so 
amazing to hear all of them say each one individually well when i sing this part i find it's easiest to get to the, you know to the b flat if you do this or that i mean that that is experience that you you cannot get you cannot get that anywhere else at, except at a company where they really make an effort to bridge the gap between you know the the main stage performers and and the young artists so that sort of education was was uh was ever present and was and was incredibly helpful. But you know, I meet my colleagues out in the um, in the operatic world. Christian Van Horn, a fantastic uh, bass baritone, was out in Munich right now. He's fest there, and I see Nicole and I see Meredith and uh, you know all the great uh, all the great singers that have come out. Quinn Kelsey and they really and Susanna too. Sorry, I'm just thinking of the ones I've seen over the last year. And everybody just, you know, they go out and, and, they, and they make sure that they bring their top level of performance. I think one of the other reasons being that we're all really proud of this program. And none of us want to be the one that drops the ball. We all want to go out there and represent this program really well. Now, you live with your family in Chicago, whereas a lot of your internationally prominent uh, colleagues in North America feel a compulsion to base themselves in New York. So what attractions of... Chicago keep you based here? I'll be perfectly honest. The I always knew at some point I would live in Chicago. My father was born here, oh. and Julie was born here. My yeah. wife was born here. And uh, I just always knew that we would end up here. And we did uh, when I got into the opera program, uh, the opera center, excuse me, and Julie decided to transfer from, she was at Georgetown Law, she transferred to Northwestern Law. Um, and then when it came time to sort of decide whether to go to New York or stay here, at that time, and I think it still holds true, a two-bedroom apartment in New York City buys you a pretty nice house here in <laughs> Chicago. And I will never – I'm not living in an apartment anymore. And that's not a, a snob factor at all. It's just I would rather live in a less busy uh, town, and I actually find Chicago to be plenty busy for me, but you know, I would rather live somewhere where I can have a yard. I would rather live somewhere where my kid, you know, where we don't have to take an elevator to go downstairs. And, and some people love the apartment life, but I don't know. I grew up in a house in Montreal and then in New York, uh, outside of New York City, and I've always wanted to live in a house. But then, you know, there's something about Chicago, too, that everybody loves Chicago. I, I have to be honest with you, and I'm sure there are people who will say, oh, I've, I've definitely heard someone say, you know, negative things about Chicago. I've never heard anyone say something bad about Chicago. I mean, sure, we all have our complaints, and I mean, the potholes are unbelievable right now. But it's a great city. It has a great energy. For me, I find it to be the most Canadian American city. Absolutely do. Just like Toronto, there's a Lakeshore Drive there, there's a Lakeshore Drive here. And, you know, I get all the benefits that I would get in New York. You know, you have fantastic restaurants here. We have two baseball teams here, too. And, yeah, it's just, it's, it's definitely, it is truly my kind of town. It is. I, and, you know, I, I've, I've, the nice thing about being an opera singer is you get to spend one to two months in a lot of different cities. So I've experienced San Francisco. I've experienced New York, actually. I lived in, in the city for a couple of years. Um, I lived in, we spent a, I spent some time in LA, in Washington, D.C., in various places, and then obviously in Canada, in Toronto and Montreal. Chicago's where I want to be. It's, it's just, it's got my sort of energy and, and better pizza. <laughs> I want to wish you the best of luck with Faust and with everything else that's coming up. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And if I can just say one last thing, um, you know, when you do a young artist program, 
it's always your hope to come back. You know, my my uh, goal in my career, I, I've always had two two goals. One was that I wanted to do incredible pieces of music with incredible colleagues, and I feel like I'm doing that now. And the other thing was that I always want to get asked back, at least you know after my first time. Uh, and here I am, and I'm coming back, and I'm I'm really excited to be back in Chicago. I find our our audiences here are are second to none, and they really uh, they they've seen so much opera, and they're so discerning, um, and yet they really appreciate uh, great singing. So I hope to be able to bring that uh, to the table this this fall in Faust, and uh, I'm thrilled to be back. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Backstage at Lyric the podcast that takes you behind the curtain at Lyric Opera of Chicago. For additional interactive content and to order tickets, visit us online at lyricopera.org.